In May of 2000, Allison Thresher vanished from her small apartment in Bethesda, Maryland. It was the night before she was supposed to start a new position with the Washington Post. She's never been found, but the mystery surrounding Allison's disappearance has only deepened in the time she's been gone. This is a story of betrayal, anger, stunning accusations, and family secrets unearthed. There are strange coincidences and odd connections, but it is also a story about survival, forgiveness, and incredible courage. What did Allison Thresher know, and who wanted her gone? As you're about to learn, there are many answers to both questions and new clues that are only being revealed in this podcast. I'm Melanie Alnwick, a reporter for the Fox Station in Washington, D.C. I first covered this case 18 years ago. Back then, I had no idea of the twists and turns that were about to take place. Allison, you know, was a lovely, uh, lovely person. Evan, as we've agreed to call him, is one of Allison Thresher's exes. He tells me they first met at Bethesda Chevy Chase High School decades before they started their extramarital affair. She had a bright smile, and uh, I just sort of remember her uh, with, a, with a very bright smile when we met, um, sort of backlit by the sun. So it's, it's probably my mind, you know, like creating some sort of romantic image, but I think that's actually how it was. That's how it is when someone you love is gone from your life. At first, the pain is sharp and the recollection's clear. Then distance and time turn the images gauzy. Allison Thresher, by all accounts, was vibrant, smart, quick-witted, and stylish, at least on the outside. Her inner life was more complicated. I knew that she suffered from depression. I knew that she was medicated. She was struggling with shit, and hell, she had even just broken up with her boyfriend. The years before Allison disappeared were tumultuous. Jim and Allison would break up, then get back together. There was financial stress, two young kids to care for, long hours, little satisfaction, blow-up arguments, and several relationships, I'm told, as Allison tried to get out of the marriage. Allison's sister, Sarah Thomas, shared with me a poem that Allison kept taped onto her computer in her apartment titled The Laughing Heart by Charles Bukowski. The words seem to mirror Allison's inner turmoil. It begins, your life is your life. Don't let it be clubbed into dank submission. Be on the watch. There are ways out. There is a light somewhere. After Allison disappeared, much of the chaos of her life did too. The angry fights, the custody battles, the frayed relationships with her ex-husband and children. Her sister tried to hold on to Allison's existence as much as she could. Weeks went by. Reward funds went up. The missing posters were getting some attention with tips on possible sightings coming into police. Search dogs scoured these thick woods lining the CNO Canal three straight days after Thresher's car was found nearby. 12-year-old Hannah and 10-year-old Sam were still on the watch, wondering when or if their mother might come home. Their lives, even up to that point, had been turbulent. Here's Sam. We've been through shit together that nobody else in our family, nobody else in the world will ever understand. A year earlier, their parents' divorce papers spelled out shared custody, with Jim paying Allison money to cover his debts, plus half his retirement fund, 
and child support of $701 a month. On June 16, 2000, Jim Thresher went to court again, asking a judge to vacate the custody order. It was three weeks after Allison disappeared, and coincidentally, the same day as what would have been their 16th wedding anniversary. By the way, that's the second bizarre date matchup in this story. If you remember from episode four, Allison disappeared on May 24, 2000, exactly one year from the date her divorce from Jim was finalized. But let's get back to Jim's court petition. In the filing, Jim Thresher said, he last spoke to his ex-wife on Tuesday, May 23rd, and last saw Allison on Monday, May 22nd at the Washington Post. She apparently had gone in for training since she was about to start her new job that Wednesday. Allison's boyfriend at the time, the man we've agreed to call Evan, says friends told him that there was an argument at the Post when Jim and Allison ran into each other. My understanding was that um, he had confronted her on the stairwell and um, there was loud shouting heard by some of her colleagues in, in the uh, newsroom. That was not mentioned in the court filing. But Jim Thresher did write that Allison had never missed a custody exchange prior to her disappearance. The judge gave Jim sole legal custody of Hannah and Sam and terminated the child support payments. Five months later, in November 2000, Jim Thresher went back to court to have Allison declared legally dead. Her sister Sarah fought it. Sarah was the legal guardian of Allison's assets. You know, it just seemed like it was so fast. I, I just, I didn't know any reason to really be sure that she was deceased. Um, I, I just can't really, you know, I just really can't get into that. Um, it's been so long. And I, I, um, right. I, I just think that's touching too close to the case. Some states require a certain amount of time to pass before a person can be legally presumed dead. Maryland says there is no presumption, but does give a judge the ability to make that decision based on evidence that the person was, quote, exposed to a specific peril of death. And if you recall at the time, Montgomery County police were still classifying it as a suspicious disappearance. Initially, a judge denied Jim Thresher's petition. Then, during the ensuing court battles, Allison's sister says something changed. The only thing we knew is when John McCarthy came into the civil proceeding. John McCarthy is the Montgomery County State's Attorney. At the time, he was Deputy State's Attorney. Where we were saying, you know, we didn't have any knowledge that she was deceased, but there were um, other issues in that proceeding. The civil proceeding was also about her 401k money and, you know, setting up trusts for the children's inheritance and making me guardian of her assets in order to do that. Um, and then John McCarthy walked in and went up to the judge and the judge, you know, the whole chain, the whole procedure changed at that point because John McCarthy said they had found blood evidence at the scene. 
John McCarthy tells me his recollection is different, that there wasn't any specific evidence that caused the change in course, just the passage of time with no contact, and some family members' insistence that Allison would never just up and vanish. Whatever the reason, at this point, the case was declared a homicide investigation. There was still no body, no motive, no suspects. On March 27, 2001, a Montgomery County judge declared Allison Thresher legally dead, giving Jim Thresher access to $1,800 a month in Social Security survivor benefits for the children. Family holidays and birthdays passed. Everything was different now, bleak and cold. It, you know, it was very sad. We, we all um, lost a lot. We had been a happy family for many years. On holidays, you know, we were all there. Often members of Jim's family would join us. Um, and then, you know, the divorce took, took a lot, you know, obviously took Jim out of the picture. And then... When Allison was killed, it was just me and my son and my parents trying to, trying to still hold things together, and and, and it was it was just very rough. My my mother never recovered. My parents really never recovered from losing Allison. Sarah cleared out Allison's apartment. I, it took me a long time to to empty it, and um, I didn't you know, couldn't continue to pay the rent on it because, you know, that was money that um, we were trying to, you know, have for the children. She didn't have a lot of money, um, you know. So um, I did rent at my own expense a storage unit, and I kept um, a lot of, you know, I basically put everything in the storage unit, yeah. hoping that, you know, she'd come back. That must have been such I a, even such had a hard day for you. In my, yeah. in my medicine cabinet for many years. Oh, <laughs> really? Sort of like, just in case. Another very strange thing happened that almost made Sarah believe Allison might come home. A child support check made out to and signed by Allison showed up at her former bank. It was returned to Sarah because the check was outdated. Oh, I have no idea really how it how it ended up in her, her checking account two years later. It is very strange. I, I've never heard of the bank of anything like that before. Montgomery County cold case detectives Katie Leggett and Mark Janney say it was just a false hope. What about the check? <laughs> That was a uh, red herring. The check was lost within the banking system for a while and then turned up and uh, there wasn't anything more to it than that. She had deposited the check and herself and it just got lost in the system. No deposit, no return. Hannah and Sam were living permanently with their father and despite Allison's warnings to him about Fernando Estorizaga, Jim continued to let Hannah and Sam spend significant amounts of time with him. He was really befriending my father as much as he could. And um, it was working. Uh, you, you know, they were, they were friends. It seemed like they were friends. I, I don't know what else to say. And they, 
uh, you know, he was he was around and he would spoil Hannah and I. He would take us, you know, out on you know, out to dinner to the mall to movies, and he would buy us shit. So you know, we liked. You know, from a materialistic point of view, being a, I liked being around him because I, I knew I could he would buy me shit, just like every kid wants his toys and games and stuff. So, you know, he, he was just around a lot. Sarah recalls her shock when she found out about that. Jim told me that Fernanda was going to be picking Hannah up and taking her to a year-end school picnic at the friend's school. That's Friends Community School in College Park, where Fernando was a Spanish teacher. Allison and Jim used to be active members of the school board and the Adelphi Friends Quaker meeting that the school was associated with. And I said, well, that's not, that's not appropriate. I said, that, 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 dishonor, that would be dishonoring Allison's memory um, in Hannah, who knew, because Hannah knows that Allison didn't want her around Fernando, so to immediately have her traveling alone with Fernando um, would, is, is, not, is not appropriate. Not really grasping that there was, you know, an ongoing sexual relationship between Hannah and Fernando. I thought he'd been out of the picture. Um, I, and I didn't see any reason to rekindle that or to, to give Hannah a reason to feel bad about it when she looked back at it mm-hmm. years later. So Jim and I argued about that. Okay. Um, I went to the school and I asked the principal, just, you know, thinking that these were all normal people. I asked the principal, um, if he could make arrangements for Hannah to ride to the picnic with a different person, perhaps another family, because Allison had um, not approved of her relationship with with Fernando, and I thought that it would be better long-term if, if Hannah didn't do something that was so counter to her mother's wishes. And the principal screamed at me. I mean, he, I was in shock because I thought my request was perfectly reasonable and, you know, could easily be accommodated and, and was the right thing to do and, and not a big deal. But he screamed at me and literally threw me out of his office. And I, I, I left just, just shaking. I was in shock. I was, you know, I couldn't believe that, that a, a professional person of any capacity, much less the principal of the school, would act that way to a grieving uh, person to, you know, who was just simply asking, you know, very politely if they could make that arrangement as being in Hannah's long-term best interest. So he, he screamed at me and threw me out of his office and then called Jim apparently because I was just a couple blocks away when Jim called me and yelled at me told me I had better not interfere. Remember that shortly before Allison disappeared, she sent a letter to the head of the Friends Community School warning that 33-year-old Fernando Asturizaga was having an inappropriate relationship with Hannah. I found that letter in the Thresher divorce case records. She was just trying to get people to listen to her, but, you know, the school didn't listen to her, um, and my father didn't, and it's more reasonable to me that my father didn't just because um, 
on the other hand, too, I wanted to see Fernando because he had me fully under his spell at that point. Fernando had a lot of people fooled, including those at the school. Again, Detective Katie Leggett. Did Fernando have any educational background? No. It, it was learned that he earned his, um, his GED while he was in prison. He didn't even have a high school diploma. Right. We Yet were blown away. At an exclusive, expensive, expensive, high-end, with, with very affluent kids. Yeah. Hannah tries to explain the strength of her emotional manipulation. It was sort of this whole, like, we're going to live happily ever after and we'll tell everybody about our relationship when you turn 18 and, and everything will be fine and everybody's going to be okay with that. And it, I felt like his girlfriend. I mean, that's, that's what he set it up to be. And, um, you know, I, would, I had tried to kind of break things off because as I was getting older, I was, you know, feeling very controlled. Um, and, you know, he would body shame me and do, you know, I mean, I still am recovering from the, you know, way he just completely decimated my self-esteem because that's how you control somebody. Um, you know, he would call me a slut for wearing shorts, you know, an 11-year-old girl for wearing shorts, you know, halfway, but, you know, like a few inches above my knee, like, and I made me wear baggy clothes and like, you know, crazy controlling. All the while when he was sexually abusing Yes, you. yeah, yeah. And eventually I started getting older and, and being like, I'm sick, you know, I don't want to be controlled like this and, and feeling guilty all the time and, and just, you know, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And, um, you know, thankfully I was still able to maintain friendships and, and, you know, I met my best friend during that time and, um, or, you know, the woman who's still my best friend now and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, there were times I'd try to end it and it would end up in a big fight and, but it would always, you know, he would find a way to reel me back into it. Eventually, Hannah, at the age of 13, found a way to break off the sexual relationship with Fernando. Once I said, like, I'm done with this, um, you know, it ended. Um, and, and so that was very freeing for me. So I think for years, a lot of it was just trying to, to live my life without that defining me. Um, and at the time, I still wasn't admitting that it was really anything bad that had happened. It was just, it was, and now it's not anymore. He was still in the periphery, like, seeing my, my father, and they were still friends. Two years later, that friendship, those emotional ties, the guilty silence, would reel Hannah back in again. It's 2003. Allison Thresher's homicide case has faded from the headlines, and at the police department, the files began to gather dust. But in neighboring Prince George's County, Fernando Esturizaga was about to go on trial. Not for anything to do with Allison Thresher. Another student at the Friends Community School accused Fernando of sexual abuse. He was arrested and charged with three counts of third-degree sex offense, three counts of fourth-degree sex offense, one count of second-degree assault, and one count of child abuse. Incredibly, Hannah, now 15, was called to testify in Fernando's defense. And that's one of my biggest regrets, even though I was 
still a child and didn't really know what I was doing, but I spoke on his behalf and um, that's, that's something I, I deeply, deeply regret. Um, but you must have been scared. Yeah, exactly. I was still, I mean, he brainwashed me and I was still very much under that spell um, in, in a way that is very hard to describe because it seems like, um, you know, how, how could you help somebody who did something so awful? But I just didn't even know what I but was doing. But you probably doing. weren't even ready to accept what had happened to you. Well, the abuse you. that had happened to me had been normalized in my head, you know? So it's not like what I thought, it, you know, I more was like he didn't do this to this other girl, not that she was lying about it or anything. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. But, um, but he was still had a lot of people under his spell at that point. And to the point where he even went on to work at another school. Exactly. A jury acquitted Fernando of all charges. He left Friends Community School, then went to work for a brief time at another Quaker school, the Thornton Friends School in Silver Spring. I tried to get a response from the Friends Community School principal and the board member to whom Allison wrote her warning letter. Emails and phone messages were not returned. The current school board chair did send me a statement saying in part, I am aware of the very tragic matter involving Fernando Estorizaga and the Thresher family, but neither our head of school, Larry Clements, nor I was at Friends Community School at that time. It goes on to say they have no knowledge of the letters sent between Allison and the school and, quote, we provided all records requested by the Montgomery County investigators and will continue to cooperate with any further investigation. In Larry's tenure, we have been uncompromising in vigilance and caution. We have policies and procedures to recognize, report, investigate, and act on any suspected child abuse, and we continually re-examine those policies to meet or exceed those required of all schools, both public and private. The statement also said they can't comment on why or how Fernando got a job at the other school, but he didn't stay for long. Soon, Fernando leaves town. In our next episode, you'll never believe where he went to live. I thought, oh my God, you know, this is crazy. Thank you for listening to this podcast and please subscribe to Missing Pieces for the rest of this incredible story. I couldn't have done this in-depth work without the help of other people, including my colleague, Fox 5 photographer and editor, Ronnie McRae, and the Montgomery County Police Department. And a special thank you to Sarah Thomas, Allison Thresher's sister, and Allison's children, Hannah and Sam. They are survivors and strong, and they're hoping you, the listeners, can help them find Allison Thresher.